0: traditional paid advertising um, has its role, but I think it's what I've taken away, what I've learned is that it's starting from the wrong place today. That, That culture has to drive marketing and not the other way around more times than not.
1: Hi everybody, welcome back to Beyond High Street. Today we sit with Jeff Immel. Jeff's a Senior Vice President and Creative Director at Weber Shanwick, a global leader in marketing and communications. Jeff and I have known each other for quite some time, have worked together for quite some time, have always really enjoyed that work together. He's smart, provocative, and I really appreciate Jeff taking a few minutes here. He was hired by Weber six, seven years ago as their first art director in the Chicago office as the traditional PR firm was transforming their business into more of a global communications and marketing business across a number of disciplines. And we spent a lot of time in the conversation in that shift for that business for him, being part of a public relations firm, to what they are today. I also liked his feedback and thoughts about how the world has changed. We live in an audience first society versus what used to be where brands could dictate what they want. and audience would just fall in line. He gives a great anecdote from a lecture he heard at Cannes about the hunter and the deer but now the deer is the, is the person with the gun. Listen to the pod to hear that too. And I like his tips for Miami students and students everywhere. Uh, often you hear tips for college kids or people in their young 20s about certain business skill sets. Jeff takes a different approach. The people side, the human side. Listen, engage, help others. Be the person that people want to interact with. Sometimes the basics in life are simply forgotten. Jeff, thanks for taking time. Hope everyone enjoys the pod.
0: It's always funny to think back on that reality just because of how much it's already changed. Um, But it's still pretty vivid in my mind. Uh, I mean, I remember this need inside um, in sort of the advertising space that I had been of just needing to do something different. You know, one of the beauties about advertising, I think, is sort of how deep you get into the work that you do you know, for me specifically, but I think for a lot of folks, you're, you're spending every day, all day, all year, usually working on one account, one brand. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of that is you know everything about it. You know, I was on a lot of pieces of business where I had been there longer than any of my clients, where I was correcting them about their business, or I knew more about sort of the minutia of their business. And the flip side of that is that you kind of get a little burned out on one thing and, at the time, I had heard about this opportunity at Weber Shandwick and had no idea what it really was going to entail. Um, I think the thing that was the most intriguing to me was just this sense of being able to work on a bunch of different things to, to stretch my creative brain you know, and go from a meeting about beer to a meeting about cell phones to a meeting about food or candy bars and just having all these different outlets to, to try to do
1: cool stuff and 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 when you made that move the just the challenges and opportunity i imagine almost day one uh brand leads are coming to you every day saying give me a different perspective on how you think and maybe something that wasn't already there but also imagine your processes or how you think about things were you know from that side different than what Weber was doing then i'm sure it's evolved greatly but going back to those first couple of yeah.
0: days yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I remember some of the anecdotal things. I think that that showcase the divide in a way. I remember the first day I walked into my office, and there was a, a PC on my desk. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm a designer by right? trade. I'm a Mac guy. I always have been. And I just walked in and saw that on my desk, and was just taken sort of a back. I was like, Oh, I don't know how to use that thing. And it was just so emblematic. I think of where I, the world I was coming from. sort of the sense of creativity really being what led everything to really understanding the depth at which creative as I would define it as sort of a a discipline just hadn't existed here before that. Um, So that example is just again a sort of symbol I think for so many of the early conversations and you know I think I brought a different perspective and you know this world operated differently and I've come to terms with the fact that I don't think either one of them was wrong, and I don't think either one of them is right still. Um, I think time has sort of proven that it's somewhere in between. Um, You know, the traditional paid advertising um, has its role, but I think it's what I've taken away, what I've learned, is that it's starting from the wrong place Mm. today. that, That culture has to drive marketing and not the other way around, more times than not. Um, And understanding where you operate, understanding the conversations that want to be had is much different than starting with what does the brand want to talk about. Um, And so there was, I mean, there were some tough days early on, that's for sure. Um, You know, hard conversations and, you know, fights and arguments and just trying to really dive in and understand where people were coming from. And, you know, I grew up in a different sort of a world. And so trying to learn that on the fly while trying to build a team and and trying to validate the reason why you're here in a lot of ways. It was tough.
1: Mm.
0: Fun, but tough.
1: Yeah, well, and, and obviously big credit to, to Weber to think out of the box and, and make that higher yeah. to you six years ago or seven years ago um, yeah. as the world has now evolved greater. But back then it was probably more of a risk for them too. But to keep, go go a little deeper on culture has to drive marketing and you hear that a lot now how and, and social and there, there's a lot of reasons why it's changed but audience first and yeah um looking at, and trying to understand the habits of your current or um, hopeful audience to be and then building business around there where brands think they have a message that they want to say because that's what they believe but isn't necessarily what their target yeah. believes or wants. Yeah,
0: and, I, I mean, I, and we're not 100% different from where that was. I just think the reality certainly in this world today is that, you know, as we all know, we have too many things that we can choose to put our eyeballs on. Um, and that's the, the difference, I think, is that the viewer now is in control. Um, and that's a big shift and on the easiest, I guess, example is to think back at mad men times, right? Mm -hmm. A brand wanted to say something, Don Draper said it very simply and eloquently. And again, there were so many fewer options as to where you could look. So I put it on TV or I put it on a billboard or I put it in a magazine, you're going to see it. And obviously the realities today are almost the exact opposite of that. Um, somebody that I, Heard Speak and Can said it, I thought, nicely that, you know, the deer now have the guns. (laughs) And what he meant by that was, you know, the hunters used to be the brands. And now the reality is that the consumers are the ones in control. The deer now have the guns. (laughs) And whether it's them deciding when and where they want to watch or how they want to watch or, you know, any of those things, they get to decide the terms in which they digest your message and so the implications for brands i think are just that we can't ignore the larger cultural opportunities risks um and moments that we have to sort of ride that just because we have a story we want to tell as a brand doesn't mean that anybody wants to listen and anymore they don't have to now certainly you can still outspend you know you can Pay the millions of dollars in paid media, and it still has its role. It just isn't quite as in control as it used to be. Mm. And so, the reason why I say kind of where we begin is a little bit different because you have to start not just with what we want to say, but what's kind of going out and, and happening in the larger context.
1: Mm. The the deer hunter uh, is a great analogy. Yeah. Does does the pendulum ever swing back? Or does it even go more in one way? I'm trying to think as you're as you're talking through it i'm trying to think of a brand that um where it's brand first. And I was trying to think in my mind like Netflix. What Netflix seems to have done is they figured out the audience, then they have. But, but then when you have a number of pieces there, together you create a brand name. But it's almost like they, they got the right audience across three, four, or however many shows. And it's almost secondary to how you create a brand name.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things about Netflix, I think, one of the anecdotes that I've heard is just sort of even how they serve up their own content. You know, so much in marketing, we like to look at audience and we think, all right, it's an 18 to 24-year-old male. And from what I understand, Netflix sort of throws all of those kind of generic categorization of humans out the window. And it sounds simple, but it's smart that based off of what you watch – is how they start to target more shows that you might want. Somebody who watches um, Ozark, as an example, might be the kind of person that might also like Orange is the New Black based off of what they know about their viewers. And so they throw all male, female age demos out the window, and it is 100% focused on you as a viewer, as humans, as as intakers of content, um, which again, I think is super simple, but is sort of a different model than a lot of folks tend to look at things. And I think they've built a brand sort of based off that mentality that again, their viewers and what they watch sort of drive everything else. And that's shifted from, you know, the old days of the red envelope and the disc that was inside, right? To now a complete different model of streaming and you know, And now I can't keep up with half the stuff that's out there because there's too much good stuff to watch.
1: Think how obvious that is now, yet yeah. on linear TV, just the one ad that's being served to whoever's watching that one program, that no matter who you are, 10 years old or 80 years old, getting the same yeah. thing. It's an, an incredible shift. So when you, the, the the mindset of being a creative, or how, I'd love to hear a bit more of how you, how you label what you do and the people that work with you for you um, and the industry. But go, go back 15 years or so, uh, maybe 20 years to Oxford. And were were you thinking that, were you thinking you were going to be in the creative field space when you went to Oxford and kind of almost why Miami back then, if that was the direction you were heading?
0: Yeah, good question. Um, So I grew up in the, a household my dad was in the business my dad was a creative director just like myself um and so I grew up certainly knowing that was out there and understanding what that looked like and you know my dad was at Leo Burnett for 30 something years and so I remember the weekends going down to his office and seeing what he was doing and the things he was able to play with and you know just all the realities and fun I thought of what that looked like Um, and so I had a sense of that going into, going into Miami. Um, you know, my dad took me down for orientation and I remember, you know, kind of going to the usual stops that they kind of take you around. And my dad sort of said, Hey, why don't we go check out the art building real quick? You know, while we're down here, let's just go take a look at it. Um, and I guess I would say thinking back on it, that was probably a huge moment when he did say that we walked in there and I think that was perhaps the first time where the reality of what that looked like was probably a little bit more crystallized for me. I could have seen myself maybe just going general comms or general business um, and trying to figure that out. But I think from that day forward, it sort of knew where I was going.
1: And when you were in Miami those four years, and after Dad got you through or you walked through the art department, in the summers, did you intern? What did you, Was there a class? Was there a professor? What, what kept the, the idea of that uh, exciting and, and front and center for you?
0: Yeah, um, almost every summer, I think, that I was <clears throat> in college, I, I had an internship. Um, one of the nice things about having a dad in the business was he was able to kind of set me up in a couple different gigs. Um, and I worked at a couple places back in Chicago every summer. You know, doing real basic stuff. I worked at a really cool uh, video and audio effects house in Chicago that did a lot of commercial work. And at the time, really, really, really interesting sort of visual effects animation stuff. But I was, you know, the errand boy. I got coffee. I brought it into, to, you know, the advertising folks. that were in the room working on things and ran errands and stocked up, you know, snacks for the office and that kind of thing. I answered phones and, you know, was just that. That guy, but every time I had a chance to go sit in there and watch what they were actually doing, and looking at what the output was, was just kind of magical. Mm-hmm. And I think each of those experiences that I had just sort of kept fueling this path for me. Um, that turned into some different internships later. Um, I interned at a place called Cap Studio, which was sort of a an internal studio at Leo Burnett, um, and so I was just sort of hands-on in the mount room cutting board and, you know, you printed stuff out and you mocked it up, whether it was a print ad or a poster or whatever it was. And we were the hands and the labor that did that. You know, you cut your finger and you glue your <laughs> glue your fingers together. And again, I think each of those things got me closer to the actual work. And and the closer I got to what that was, uh, the more I just knew that that's what I wanted to do.
1: Yeah. And, and well, internships and mentorships and everyone on the pod talks about it and continuing to meet people and know people and not who you know, but who knows you. The value of that yeah. is incredibly important and in some ways are definitely easier for kids now because of what's at their fingertips. And they just they need to take advantage of it. And I know some Miami students. Came through Chicago recently, and I think came through yeah. Weber Shanwick. What what are the yep. what are the tips that you and I know? There's several other colleagues at Weber in Chicago that are Miamians too. What what are the tips you you tell these kids at 18 or 21 to take advantage of uh, in school and right out of school?
0: Yeah, there was a group that was just here a few weeks ago, and I've been talking to this class for the last. four years or something, I think. It's always really enjoyable. I mean, I'm always left with my first reaction of just how impressive uh, a group of kids they are. Just so uh, accomplished and double majors and things that I can't even pronounce and seemingly so much more put together than certainly I was at that time. And, you know, the thing that I usually tell them in this class was, was no different was... While all of that is, is great, it's true of every single one of you, though. So none of that, none of that accomplishment, none of those majors, none of those individual elements that Miami does a great job getting you ready for separates any of you apart from each other, mm-hmm. right? Because they're all accomplished. They all went to a great school, and they all have these very impressive um, sort of accolades. And I've always been a big believer that it's, it's everything else that you can do that's going to set you apart. And I think in a lot of ways, as a society, we sort of focus on, you know, the list, the bulleted accomplishments, right? Whether it's GPA or the different groups or organizations you're a part of, the things you've done. And what I told them, which I I still believe, is that I think we overlook so much of just the people side of all of our businesses, the human side of it, of being the kind of person that other people want to work with and work for. Um, and I think it's the part that we don't spend a lot of time working on. Um, and yet I think in my experience, it's probably been perhaps the most valuable part of this whole thing. You know, there's better designers, there's better creatives out there than me, no question. Um, but I think I've spent a lot of time working on the human side of, of the business and, you know, trying to be the kind of person that can get the best out of other people. Mm. And and that's maybe now in my current role, the most important part of it is, you know, not getting the best out of myself every day, but trying to get the best out of my team.
1: There's an anecdote I used to share with the team that was with your clients and vendors and partners that you don't have to be the most important call that your partners need to make every day, but you want to be the first call because they enjoy the conversation. And in, in, this, in this crazy world of non-stop yeah. stuff in our minds all the time, that is, I agree with you, that's a, that's a place where one can separate. You want to interact and deal with people that you like, trust, respect, and enjoy the conversation. There's not enough time. Those are the people, yeah.
0: Yeah. Those are the people you're going to go the extra mile for, right? Those are the people that, all right, I want to go have a coffee with you if you're you know, a 21-year-old graduate who's taking it upon themselves to reach out um, and wants to have a cup of coffee, I will always go. You know, the other part that I always talk to them about is that, you know, it's not my job to get you a job. I'm not going to email you. I'm not going to call you. Um, but I'm always here if you want. And I will do everything I can to help you. But part of that first step is is the human side of reaching out and setting up a conversation and let's talk. And it's an important one. And, you know, I guess maybe I learned that in the sense that I was very, very fortunate. My dad was able to sort of help me with some of those connections. Um, and maybe I didn't even have to do that step. The same thing I'm asking of these kids, but I think it's a really important one. Um, and again, I just think anecdotally for them, um, the human side of it is what's going to set you apart. Because all of you are graduating from a same, the same great place that I did. Um, but it's from that point forward for you to really shape what that looks like. Who mm-hmm. so wants it
1: more? Mm-hmm. Uh, in closing here, how about uh, a piece of creative or a brand with a, a, a current campaign or, or message, client or not, that uh, you, you really appreciate, enjoy, and just think what they've pulled off is world-class?
0: That's always a good question. Um, You know, it's funny. I I mean, I wish I could say that there's more of it out there. To be quite honest, I wish it wasn't quite as hard to come up with some of those. Um, But but that's the world we're in. Um, And I guess because of that, I'll sort of use a, a known one and an easy one. But I think it's purposeful, and that's what Nike did with Colin Kaepernick this year. And it's even less about what the actual message is behind it. You can agree with one side or the other. Uh, that's not the point to me that's important, I think. Uh, Rather that that they did it. And I think that they took a risk knowing that it was a risk. And again, if that's something that they believed in, I guess I just appreciate the fact that they went for it. Um, And yes, the creative itself, I guess, is beautiful. It's well done, as everything that Nike does is. Um, But I just look at the larger landscape and I see too many brands, and I work with a lot of them, that are unwilling to take that risk that are unwilling to put something out there because of sort of the current landscape that's out there. And I just think that part is, is troublesome. Um, if brands and I think they're going to need, you know, they're going to need to more and more have to have a perspective. It doesn't mean that I have to agree with it necessarily, but they're going to have to live and die with that. Um, and I just think the more that, uh, corporations are out there, um, helping to shape this world, I think is going to be a good thing. It's a needed thing. I think our political situation has just gotten so complex that it's almost impossible to move forward. But, um, I think a piece of work like that, um, again, regardless of what side you're on, on it is an important one. And they'll have to, you know, embrace the people that love the fact that they did it. And they have to deal with the haters that, that hated every part of that. Um, But that's the climate, and I don't think we can just stop doing anything because of that. I think we still have to create, we still have to have a perspective, and we have to live with both sides of it.
1: Thank you, Mr. Immel, for taking a bit of time and jumping on Beyond High Street. That was fun to catch up and listen to your thoughts as Weber-Shenwick evolves, as well as just the business community evolves. And the tip about the public and human side is so important. I hope everyone takes that to heart in everything you do with friends, family, business colleagues, just so that we all can be a bit better. Thanks again, Jeff. See everyone at Skippers real soon. Take care.